0: This month we are making that journey from the outer court to the inner court, from the shepherd's field to the manger, and we're talking about how in a, in a world full of uncertainty we can see the Christmas story not as one more thing to have to you know, generate certainty for, but as some, to, to welcome the mystery, um, a mystery we can embrace. And This week I want to talk with you about finding hope in hidden places. Uh, about what hope looks like when the circumstances don't look hopeful. And we're going to start with the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. The best way to engage the message is with your Bible. Something to write on, something to write with. So if you'll get that out, turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. This is the verse of Jesus. Oh, here comes my life group card. There it is in my Bible, folks. So, yeah. Um, that's unpl- um, unplanned there. But anyway. All right, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So it was sort of like homecoming in all those different towns. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Luke would mention that because Luke's trying to tell the story of the Messiah, and the Old Testament prophets tell us that the Messiah will come from the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, and placed them in a manger because there was no guest room for them available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. Can you imagine? An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. A lot of times, when the angel of the Lord appears, one person sees it and nobody else does. But in this case, it sounds like they all heard it, saw it together, which is kind of cool. They're witnesses. Um, to what they were seeing uh, uh, and experiencing out there in the field. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior. I want you to underline all of verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to who? To you. To you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. That's huge. The whole gospel rests on these lines in Luke chapter 2, and especially on that verse 11. If Jesus didn't come in the flesh in just this way, none of the rest of it matters. These 11 verses, this manger, these two unassuming, normal, whatever normal is, people, are, are where the salvation of the world happened. The angel said, he is the Messiah, the Lord, which means, friends, that hope is not a concept. Hope is not some abstract thought or feeling we're trying to generate. Hope has a name and it is Jesus. Biblical hope is not rooted in our circumstances. You should write this down. Biblical hope is not rooted in our circumstances, but in a person, a living, breathing person. Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher, who, by the way, dealt with depression in his life, once said, let this one great, gracious, glorious fact lie in your spirit until it perfumes all your thoughts and makes you rejoice, even though you are without strength. Seeing the Lord Jesus has become your strength and your song. Yes, he has become your salvation. Come on is our salvation and mary and joseph demonstrate to the world what biblical hope looks like listen in the midst of a mystery and a very hard call they chose life they chose life that's the nature of biblical hope biblical hope is choosing life and they chose life and that life has become life to us So this simple story teaches us probably everything we need to know about biblical hope. Biblical hope means choosing life. Write that down. And choosing life isn't always that easy. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, verse 22, we know that the whole creation... Has been groaning. In other words, choosing life is not easy in a fallen world. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for the for the adoption to sonship, the the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen. Paul says this, is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, listen, we wait for it patiently. So the first thing I learned is hope, hope waits. And hope waits expectantly. I had a great conversation with my sister-in-law last week. And um, I have her permission to share this today. She and I were talking, and I shared with her that I was preaching on hope today and, and asked her um, how hope sat with her as Jack's mom. This is Jack. I want to introduce you to Jack. Some of you know Jack. He's 27 now. I can't believe it. And he lives with profound autism. He's not a talker. He's been raised by my brother and sister-in-law at home, and he's, he's just a blessing of a human being. And I asked my sister-in-law the question, how, how does... Hope worked for her because I thought, you know, how does a character of hope play out when you're raising a child whose life will be so different than what you planned for? So I asked Kelly, what does hope look like when you're Jack's mom, when you've chosen his life over yours, when the definitions of waiting and expectancy have had to change over the years? Because for Jack, there's no expecting a, a, a breakthrough, a, somehow he's suddenly going to be typical. You know, whatever typical is. Jack is who Jack is. So what does hopeful expectancy look like in that life? And Kelly, my sister-in-law, she's just so good. She, she pulled us into a conversation about the difference between wishing and hoping. Yeah. Hope is choosing life. Biblical hope is choosing life. Wishing is wanting your circumstances to be different. Biblical hope is choosing life. Wishing is wanting your circumstances to be different. So we talked about how hard it is to rise to the level of hope. And after we got off the phone, Kelly sent me an email, and I have to read the whole thing to you because it's just so beautiful. She wrote this. She wrote, I've been thinking about your question about what hope means regarding raising Jack. I have never really thought about hope being choosing life, but I can say that I have never really felt like I sacrificed for Jack. I have made choices that may look different than they would have if he'd been typical, but I don't think I've really given up anything on his behalf. My sadness as Jack's mom hasn't been based on what I gave up, but based on what he has. He will never drive, marry, graduate, have a job, or hang out with friends. He endures people staring at him, people ignoring him, and people patronizing him. He is tossed between being totally disregarded to being a novelty, and yet every day he chooses life. He has chosen life by learning to control his temper and sit still. He has chosen life by learning how to wear clothing that irritates him and using a seatbelt and tolerating crying babies in stores. He has learned to wear shoes and put them on the right feet and to use a toilet and bring dishes to the sink. He has chosen life by learning to be in a crowd of family or sleep in a strange bed to travel and to water plants and play video games and sing songs and block the TV when his sister is watching a show. When touching and interacting are a challenge, Every moment of contact is a sacrifice. All these things took years of hard work to learn. And most people have no idea how much he puts into living every day. It had not occurred to me to think about what hope looks like from Jack's perspective. But Jack is a walking, breathing billboard for biblical hope. He gets up every day, he gives it his best, he participates in, gives his best to a world that his mind and body don't cooperate with. Most people have no idea how much Jack puts in to living every day. And in varying degrees, maybe there are a lot of us who are choosing hope in just that way that Jack chooses it. Not that we've chosen our circumstances any more than Jack has. That's wishing. But that we've chosen life in the circumstances we have. Listen, when you are deeply grieving the loss of a spouse or a child or someone whose life was intricately woven into yours, most people have no idea how much you put into living every day. When you're diagnosed as clinically depressed or anxious, bipolar, schizophrenic, most people have no idea how much you put into living every day. When you're dealing with severe chronic pain, debilitating illness, a compromised immune system, cancer, or maybe for some of us just living out your sobriety, most people have no idea how much you put into living out every day. And not in the circumstances you wish for, but in the circumstances you've got. When you get up every day and you give it your best, when you choose to participate in a world that your mind or your body can't cooperate with, you are choosing life and choosing it to live expectantly. And your expectancy is not That one day things will change because for some of us in the graves we're sitting in right now, we know it's not gonna change. Your expectancy is is that in the midst of exactly what you have, Jesus will show up. Your hope may be in hidden places. It may be in the success of shoes that get tied. Or the fact that you've got to the grocery store and back. Or or that you made it to a family function. Or that you got to work, you know, when everything in your body wanted to call in. Biblical hope is this. It is believing that Jesus does show up and will show up. And that that prospect all by itself makes life worth living. The day after Kelly and I had that conversation and and she sent me the email about how Jack has hope, she sent me another email and I want you to listen to this. It's profound. She said, so to answer your question about what does hope mean as Jack's mom, here's my answer. By faith, I know Jack is perfect. Hope Hope is knowing that one day, I will understand how. And love is living it out, even when I don't understand, knowing that that doesn't matter in the meantime. Yeah. By faith, I know Jack is perfect. Hope is knowing that one day I will understand how. And love is living out that is living it out knowing that understanding doesn't matter in the meantime. That sounds just like Mary and Joseph's life to me. You know? By faith, they believed what the angel told them about their son. He is the Messiah. Hope was knowing that one day they would understand how that could possibly be true for them. How this child could be the Messiah. How their child could be the Messiah. And love was living that out, knowing that in the meantime, understanding doesn't necessarily matter. In that way, hope heals, you know? Hope becomes a healing agent. It heals that aggravating need for certainty on the front end. And it allows us to live as if. Dr. Matthew Sleeth He's written a book called Hope Always, and I highly recommend it. Dr. Schlees was a physician who ran an ER for years. He was the chief of staff at his hospital for years, so clearly he was at the top of his profession for a long time. And he, he, he left his job as a physician to start a nonprofit called Blessed Earth. It's a, uh, he advocates for, for life in all its forms. His book, Hope Always, is about the phenomenon of Suicide, which Sleeth says, as an ER physician, he knows this firsthand. He says it is at its highest level it's ever been in our country. He, he says that per capita, suicide is at a greater level now than it was during the Great Depression. And if you want to read kind of how he mathematically reasons that out, you should get his book, or if you want to listen, he, we, uh, Pierce and I interviewed him last week at the Art of Holiness um, and he says that our response to suicide is also weakening, that we as a country are, are choosing death. So as part of his research into this epidemic, Sleeth developed what he calls the life continuum scale, which is a subjective scale meant to measure mental and spiritual wellness. So you might want to draw this out if, on something, if you can find a piece of paper somewhere. On, on the life continuum scale, negative 10 is the lowest score. Um, a zero on Sle's scale represents what therapists or psychologists would call uh, or classify as, as normal, a, a normal person as far as suicidality and depression are concerned. Those are his words. A plus 10 is the highest score. And Sleese defines a plus 10 as basically the thoughts and actions of Jesus. So if you want to move from zero down the scale into the negative numbers, the the negative numbers take us from melancholy, that's a negative one, to withdrawal from life, that's a negative two, to avoiding activities that promote happiness, manifesting symptoms of depression, developing thoughts of suicide, feelings of hopelessness, developing risky behaviors, and finally, in that negative eight, nine, and ten range, Developing a suicide plan, developing a specific plan, and at the very worst, negative 10, it's actually um, developing a plan for both suicide and homicide. That extreme is the opposite of biblical hope. We have examples in the news and in our lives of of people uh, getting this far down the scale all the time. That's the negative side of the continuum scale. So zero, remember is the neutral position. At zero, a person has no thoughts of suicide or depression, and that could be because they're on medication, but that's okay. They can be medicated to get to that state, but that's okay. In general, the goal of a therapist, Lee says, is to get a person as close as possible to zero on the scale where they're not experiencing the kind of depression or suicidality that would affect their lives. But biblically, there's a whole lot more to life than just not being depressed. Amen? <laughs> Jesus didn't come just to keep us from getting depressed. He didn't come just to, to, to keep us breathing. He came, he said so himself, to give us life and to give it abundantly. So what is abundant life? On the life continuum, continuum scale, that's the positive side of zero. A person who's beginning to live into an abundant life. Begins with concern for others, that's plus one, just concern for others. And then as you move up the scale, people, people, we see people moving beyond concern to actually acting it out, either uh, giving or serving in some way, giving time, giving money, maybe giving sacrificially even, taking on a cert- short-term commitment like volunteering and then taking on long-term commitments like adoption or fostering. By the time we get to positive seven on the scale, we're sacrificing our own desires and even health for the sake of others. For instance, donating an organ. At the highest levels of this scale, on the positive side, eight, nine, and 10, we're operating outside our comfort zone. We're doing mission work. or maybe even operating in dangerous conditions for the sake of others. And the very positive, and the very highest one, positive skin, uh, positive skin, plus 10 on the scale, Jesus is all positive skin. There, I've made it work. Plus 10 on the scale is exactly what Jesus said it is. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. It's the willingness to put someone else's needs before your own, even to the point of extreme sacrifice. And while, Dr. Slees says, that may not be the goal of secular mental health workers, remember, just... Their whole goal is just to keep us from being depressed. It's the end point goal of all Christians. We are built for abundant life. And abundant life comes to us not by getting, but by giving. That's the paradox of the gospel. You'd think giving yourself away only hurts yourself and that, that living a self-sacrificing lifestyle steals well-being. But in fact, it's the opposite. Jesus told us as much. Matthew 16, 25, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. I love the way the message version puts this little conversation with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus went to work on his disciples, it says, Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? Listen, self-help, a self-protective crouch is no no help at all. If you want abundant life, get outside yourself, cross the railroad tracks, and help someone else. Amen. Hope travels. This is the very reason we give gifts at at Christmas. It's a tiny, almost sacramental way of acting out what God has done for us and giving us the gift of, of salvation, of hope, wrapped in human flesh. He gave himself completely for us, his body broken so we might be made whole, his blood poured out so that we might experience life and experience it to the full. He gave up his place in heaven, to come down and sit with us on earth. And every day we get to live that out by sharing our hope with others, crossing over into another person's world, sitting in their grave with them sometime, learning to empathize, not crossing into codependence so that we're trying to fix everybody's everything, but taking on the heart of a servant, sharing the hope that is Jesus. Sleeth says, if if the United States is going to back away from the brink of despair, we must do something differently. We must do what we can to raise people who sacrificially love others. A society of people who continually think of themselves will eventually implode. The end game of hope is bearing fruit. It's because hope travels. Michael Byrow is one of ours. He he has a great ability to find hope in hidden places. Michael is a gamer, but he engages in healthy games, and uh, he's always looking for the gospel in the, in games or. Or for ways he can share the gospel with people he finds online who feel discouraged. And last week he sent me an email. Some new iteration of a game that he's been playing uh, has just recently come out. And he found this line in the story and he needed to share it with me. And the line in this secular game, secular online game, excuse me, is this. In darkness seek joy, surrender not to sadness, and see beyond despair. Walk free and bear the light for others to follow. <clears throat> How cool is that? That someone is planting the gospel in a video game. <laughs> the world needs people who will pick up their hope and take it out into the world. It's probably been six or seven years ago that one of ours came to me. He had he'd been dealing with chronic issues for a long time. And uh, it wasn't getting better no matter what treatments they tried. It was stealing his sense of hope. Eventually, they said that he would need surgery, but the surgery really unnerved him. He was worried that if he got surgery, he would die because his lungs were very fragile. He worried um, surgery might do him in. So he came to me one day for prayer, and he he shared with me very vulnerably. He said, I'm going to die. If they do this surgery on me, I'm afraid I'm going to die. And after listening to him enumerate, enumerate all the reasons why he was going to die, why the surgery would be the death of him, I, I, I never thought to say this to anybody before, but I just sensed this nudge from the Holy Spirit to ask him, what if you live? And it was like some kind of light bulb went on in him. He hadn't, hadn't really considered the possibility that he might live outside the surgery. And so he left that day with that, with that thought in his mind that he, that he might live. And for the record, he did. What if you live? I've thought about that question so many times since, and I've used it so many times since. Because when things get rough and we find ourselves sliding down toward the negative end of the life continuum scale, we can become fatalistic about our circumstances. We can wonder if life is worth it or if our lives are worth anything. But what if the peace is not in our circumstances, but in Christ? Paul says, Romans 5, Paul gets it. I mean, he says the world is groaning. He says, but we have found, we have been justified through faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not in the hope of our circumstances, but in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we also glory right now in our sufferings because we know, listen to this, that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Biblical hope will not disappoint us. So for you who are hungry, for a more abundant life, I want to offer you two thoughts. First, you matter. You matter. Jesus gave his life for yours. And I especially want that to sink into the students among us and the young adults. I want our kids to hear this. You matter. Your existence matters. And you need to hear that and believe it. Dr. Sleeth, who used to be an atheist, emphasizes the point that at school, kids are being taught that you're a cosmic accident. That there's no ultimate meaning beyond this life. But that is not the worldview of Jesus. Which says that you are here on purpose And you would not be here if God had not chosen to breathe life into your being. Your creator has a plan for you, and they are plans for your good. So when the enemy whispers in your ear and sometimes yells that you don't matter, that you're an accident, that you deserve to die, you tell him Jesus thinks differently. Tell him God has plans for you. That God doesn't make accidents. God makes life. I want you to write this passage down so you can look it up on your hard days. It's Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. Write this down. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. Isaiah the prophet says, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, it says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I know that he's talking here about the people of Israel. But, but, but when God talks in principles like this, he's talking about all life. And so he's talking about you too. But now, Randy, listen to the Lord who created you. Helen. The one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. Chuck, I have called you by name. You are mine. I want you to put your own name in this. I'm going to read it again and I want you to say your name. But now, say your name. Listen to the Lord who created you. Say your name again. The one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Believe that word is for you too. You matter. Second, you can hope now because right now in whatever circumstances you've been given you can choose life and some of you in this room have been through the fire we've all been through the fire in the last couple of years we've all been through the fire but some of you have been through more fires than one person should have to deal with and you're tired but you're also here right now which means you are making it It might not feel great in this moment, but you are making it. Every day you get up, you're choosing life. Every day you choose community over isolation, you're choosing life. So right now, we can behold the glory of Jesus. Right now, we can look for him and believe that he has embedded himself in our circumstances, that he works all things together for good. Right now, while we're waking up and making breakfast, brushing teeth, driving off to wherever it is we drive off to every day, coming home, doing another load of laundry, paying a bill, filling a tank, right now, we can choose life in every detail of it and look for hope in the small and hidden places. We can decide today to believe that God has not forgotten us. That whatever discouraging word is hovering over our lives right now, it is not the last word over your life. That he is at work all around us and he is inviting us to develop hopeful eyes so we can see him. I prayed it today and I pray it often That prayer, God, give me eyes, give us eyes to see you in the word, ears to hear you as it's spoken, a heart to receive everything you have for us. I want to pray that over you right now. God, give us eyes to see where you're at work in our current circumstances, just like they are, just like they are. Ears to hear what you're saying to us right now. The heart to receive all the hope, all the life, life abundant. In a moment, we're going to receive communion together. and you know, that, that represents the ultimate act of hope. Jesus willingly suffered the cross, knowing God was in it, that something great was on the other side. Jesus showed us that sometimes for hope to be born, something has to die. I mean, in the ultimate act of hope, he said, On the, on the night he died, I, my body was broken for you, my, my blood poured out for you. Maybe that's the best way to come to the table this morning. Maybe the best way to come to the table today is to ask that question. God, what needs to die in me so I can live life abundantly? We're going to take communion, and so if you'll get your little thing ready. If you you need a communion cup, just raise your hand, and somebody will bring you one. Thank you. If you've never used one before, you pull the clear piece off first, and then you pull the uh, foil piece back second. You cl- pull the clear piece first just so the clear piece can expose a little wafer. I want you to get that all ready so you can hold it, and I'm going to pray for you. And after I pray for you, um, Julia's going to lead us in what feels to me like the, the An anthem for hope. And um, you're welcome to to take as much time as you need to receive the elements for yourself. And um, after you've received, if you want to stand and worship, you can. If you want to come and pray here at the altar or in in the front, you can do that. If you'd like someone to pray with you, Mike will come and pray on this side. I'll be over here. We'll be glad to pray for you. I want you to really take a moment. Receive the elements at your pace as you take a moment just to consider what what do I really need to transfer from wishing to hope in my life? Where do I need to claim the presence of God? And and where do I need to pray for God to give me eyes to see where the blessings are? So I'm going to pray for you right now. And I want to ask you to receive this prayer as your prayer. I'm going to pray it first person so that you can pray it together with me. God, what needs to die in me so that hope can be born? Because I have too many days of waking up, eating breakfast, brushing teeth, doing another load of laundry, filling the tank. And, and I don't have enough days of believing you're at work in my life, making all things new. God, I need you to enter into the deepest places in me. Places that carry discouragement, depression, or cynicism, and bitterness. Grief and pain. Places inside of me that are hard. Where I've stopped believing that tomorrow can be better than today. I'm asking you to come and enter in, Lord. Lord. And give me faith to believe that I am exactly the way you want me. And give me hope to live that even when I don't understand it. Knowing that one day I'll see what you see. And Give me love enough, Lord, to live it out. To, to let my hope travel. Jesus, if you would do that, we would be so grateful. I want to thank you, God, for your example, that you lived the plus 10 on the scale, your life for mine. Thank you, Jesus, on the night you gave yourself for me. You took bread, you broke it, you gave thanks to your Father for it, and you gave it to your friends and said, Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks to his father for it, gave it to his friends and said, drink from this, all of you, the cup of the new covenant, my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Lord, we ask for your blessing over these elements. Make them be for us, the very body and blood of Christ that we might be for the world, the gift of hope. We might be for the world a witness to what can be. Pour out your spirit over us and over these gifts. Make us hungry for what is to come. The heavenly banquet table where we can feast at you finally and fully. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.